Welcome to Seven Heads, Ten Horns with Klaus Yoder and Travis Stevens. Welcome back to Seven Heads, Ten Horns, the internet's only podcast history of the devil. This is Klaus Yoder. Coming in with a culture desk update, you may ask, culture, what culture are you talking about? Is this winning culture, the culture that helps sports teams win that I hear a lot about in NBA podcasts, the winning culture of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and organizations that, like the Miami Heat, that somehow instill virtue and competitiveness in their their teams. No, that's not it. That's not the culture I'm talking about not the culture of modern sports fandom. Is it cancel culture? Am I talking about cancel culture? No, no, not cancel culture. Talking about the culture of comic book collection, comic book culture, pop culture. That's what we do on the culture desk. And why pop culture? Well, some young people in my life, my children, are getting more and more into... I don't know if I hesitate to say more sophisticated, but more narratively driven stories. That doesn't make any sense. More like getting into superheroes a little bit. They're getting into that kind of story. And I wanted to share some of the comics I read when I was a young person. Before I get too far ahead of myself, let me introduce our special guest star of this episode. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. I'm Batman. Okay, well, I'll ask you to chill out before we go any further into the episode. Thank you. And I got out, purchased a volume of Golden Age Batman stories. And there may have been a mistake. The Golden Age of Batman is still pretty pulpy. There's a lot of violence. Someone's getting killed, or there's a plot to kill someone every every issue I've read so far in this and yeah it's a bit darker than the Silver Age where you have the the comics code and you have like more government oversight of what's indecent or obscene about comic book culture didn't he had less of that in in the golden age and the book I got out is is golden age Batman volume three covering around 1942 so World War II era Batman and the reason I'm bringing this all up today, you're like, well, Batman's got pointy ears. Is that is that really the devil's horns we're talking about? Not going there right now. Batman. So why Batman? It seems like Moby Dick is just coming out of the universe, coming out of the woodwork to slap the white whale's tail in my face. So yeah, got this book, looking through it, and lo and behold, there is... A story with Batman harpooning the white whale. And I couldn't resist bringing this to the attention of the fanatical Seven Heads, Ten Hordes listenership. I will be posting some great images from this on Twitter um, at, at Klaus underscore Yoder. Uh, and so if you want to sort of follow along with some images, I can, I'll, I'll be sharing some stills, some frames on that august platform of Twitter.com. So yeah. This story found it pretty fascinating. So 
We have a fanatical ship's captain who is not Ahab. This is Captain Burley. Captain Burley. He's got an eye patch. <laughs> Strange. It looks like he's got an eye patch, but like one eye is lower than the eye patch. I don't know. It's a little. It's a little weird. He is notorious for impounding or for just taking for 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 hijacking, abducting, kidnapping, pressing is the word sailors into service on his whaling vessels. And yes, this takes place in 1940s Gotham City, but they're still using old-fashioned wind-blown schooners and such for hunting whales. So the plot of this story is that the notorious Captain Burley is vowing to destroy a white whale who has been stoving whale ships and destroying valuable property of a joint stock operation. Of course, it so happens that Bruce Wayne is on the board of this of this uh, this corporation and is suspicious of Captain Burley being the one to go after this white whale. So what does Bruce Wayne do? He's going to sneak onto the vessel. He's going to go down to the docks and hang out and see what he can, what, what information he can dig up. He gets clunked on the head by a blackjack and he's pressed into service on the, what's the name of this boat? What's his boat? I don't even know if it gets a name. That's a strange oversight. Yeah, I don't think they named the boat. Very strange. So Bruce Wayne's on the boat, but Robin, Dick Grayson, has, has snuck on too to, to assist him. They're out to sea. Burley's just like beating up sailors left and right. He's determined to get them to catch this whale so he can get the $10,000 reward money. He's pretty vicious with his crew. He's having them flogged with the cat o nine tails, which is a, it's like a whip with multiple strands. I know about it from teaching a course on prison. It was a tool, a weapon of discipline, especially in the 19th century. So it kind of like with the, the, the whaling, the masted whaling vessel, it is kind of an archaic image in, in the story. So, Bruce Wayne fakes his own death, a f you know, a familiar kind of Batman sort of trick, jumps overboard, returns with with Robin. They've been wearing their costumes underneath their disguises the entire time, of course. They start beating everyone up. Captain, They're about ready to finish off Captain Burley, but he pulls a gun, and just at that moment, harsh, he blows. The whale is, is, is out there. We get some great panels, and... The writers, Bill Finger, art by Bob Kane. So classic stuff. Like we have like the original, the original movers and shakers of Batman on the case here. Some great panels, interesting use of color, and I'll post this. I'll post this on Twitter, and, um, and maybe on Instagram too. Scenes reminiscent of the action in Moby Dick. This whale. It's unclear which whale this is, but what is clear is that. They didn't bet on Batman being a world-class harpooner. Batman, of course, jumps on the back of this whale, spear up, and just, just lets him have it. Just the lance flashes in the sun for an instant and then hits down like a streak of white flame and plunges deep into the sea beast who starts to roll over its side. 
And Batman says, it's all over now. Whew. <laughs> uh, Burley has his gun out. They hoist the, they, they tow the whale back. They kind of get into the details of cutting the, 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 cutting the blubber up. They're sort of doing the triworks thing, like from, from Moby Dick. So it seems like that, that was part of the fascination of that story. And this is a time when the novel Moby Dick is being rediscovered. It was not a super big hit when it first came out. And it had a renaissance in the early 20th century. And so it wouldn't have been on the radar as, a, as, a, as, a, as an American classic for that long by this point. About 10 years after this, after this, 1942, the early 50s, the uh, Trinidadian Marxist decolonial writer C.L.R. James, who wrote uh, The Black Jacobins about the Haitian Revolution, he writes a study of Herman Melville when he's in prison at, at uh, Ellis Island. He's being, he's, being, he's being deported. And while he's waiting to be deported, he writes this study of Herman Melville. Really interesting book. Um, the title of which is Mariners, Renegades, and Castaways, the story of Herman Melville and the world we live in. I'm not going to go into that a ton now. For James, it is the case that Ahab represents a literary prefiguration of totalitarian rulers like Hitler and Stalin. And so he reads... Moby Dick is a kind of political fable that way, though I, I wouldn't want to reduce his reading to that altogether. So more fighting ensues, more roughhousing on the decks of this, what, from what I can tell, is an unnamed ship. They're going at it. Burley is, uh, giving, is giving Batman a hard time with the old blackjack. Then another whale appears. This is the real white whale. This is the real white whale. And the crew who's also been pressed in the service, is like, man, we've had it with Burley. And you know what? F you too, Batman. You're getting on the lifeboat. We're offering you up to the white whale, and we're getting the F out of here. That's what's going on here. So Batman and Robin and Captain Burley are on this ship. <laughs> it's an amazing panel. The superstitious sailors leave the Batman, Robin, and the bewildered captain in an open boat to face the charging white whale. Robin's like, here he comes, golly. Batman, easy boy, don't lose your nerve. The dreaded white whale rushes through the shivering waves, his charging bulk looming like a juggernaut. Don't think about what's coming. Recite poetry, anything. That's what Batman says to Robin. Don't think about how you're going to die. Just start reciting Milton. Robin starts reciting, The boy stood on the burning deck. His... And let's see, what, what, what's he reciting? So Robin's reciting Casabianca. The boy stood on the burning deck, whence all but he had fled. The flame that lit the battle's wreck shone round him o'er the dead. It's a poem by Felicia Dorothea Hermans from the 19th century, commemorating the 1798 battle of the Nile between British and French fleets. Apparently, it was a frequent, it was frequently used in primary school readers in the UK and in the United States. So it's kind of like one of these poems that people used to memorize that kind of have fallen out of fashion. Anyway, Robin, ready to die, reciting poetry, and the white whale sort of pops up before them, and then out of the white whale's eye sticks a large machine gun. It's not a biological whale. It's a white submarine. It starts blowing the boat to bits with the machine gun and the 
sort of bedraggled Batman, Robin, and Captain Burley are taken aboard. Who's running this damn thing? It's the guy who is also a big member of the board of this corporation that owns the whaling ships. It's Radby, secretary of the insurance company. This has all been a big insurance scam. Rabbi has been blowing up these ships in this company to collect collect the insurance money, to collect the insurance money. But just as this revelation is made, a destroyer sets off a depth charge, hits the white whale submarine. It goes a sinking. Burley and the insurance fraudster inadvertently shoot each other in the white whale submarine. And... Batman and Robin are locked inside the sinking submarine. What are they going to do? They're in a dilemma because Batman's idea is they're going to shoot out the torpedo tube, but someone needs to be able to actually fire the shot. Robin's like, what are we going to do? Batman's like, I got the solution. I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to punch you out. And then I'm going to shoot you out the, the, the torpedo tube. No one thought, well, if he gets shot out the torpedo tube and he's unconscious, he's going to drown. But whatever, this is Batman logic, Batman world. We live in Batman's, we, we're playing by Batman's rules here. So Batman does that. He shoots Robin, unconscious Robin, out the torpedo tube. I wonder how, did like Robin like fly like 100 feet into the air? Like it's unclear. Batman's able to just swim his way out because, you know, he's, he's a demigod or whatever. And he rescues Robin and it's the end of the day. What I found interesting about this is how Batman, right, like he's promoting the general well-being, I guess, of society by taking out this evil captain and a, a monster submarine. But he's also sticking up for his own interests as an investor in this company. He's defending the interests of capital and investment over against the scammers and their robot whales. So, right, a very self-interested Batman in this this comic. And I kind of think it's funny how the, the comic is, is just sort of recycling an American classic and putting Batman in there, but it inadvertently sort of shows the, I don't know if it exactly shows contradictions, but it shows something about the character of capitalist society by doing it, whether it meant to or not. And it's very possible it meant to, I don't know. Uh, it could have been intentional, intentionally subversive. So there's that. Also interesting in how the white whale turns out to be a submarine of course this is being produced during world war ii where we have the u-boat scare of german submarines and there's a sense that we're throwing melville's whole idea of a conflict between two forms of satanic or demonic power uh, that is to say the sort of naturally phenomenal manifestation in Moby Dick we have like the sort of the phenomena of the power of this whale versus the more internalized satanic soul of the of the sort of rebel against the cosmic order in Ahab we're throwing that all out the window evil the demonic is instead mechanized mechanized weaponry mechanized ultra modern weaponry and I think that's 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 telling and expressive of something. Of course, this six pages or seven pages of a comic book don't have the, the time and the wherewithal to go into the more metaphysical claims about evil that, that Melville explores. But I do think that also, of course, is expressive of the time and place in which this is being produced. 
So like I said, Moby Dick content is just sort of coming out of the woodwork in my life right now. There was this randomly discovered piece. There's an essay that came out in Jacobin yesterday. Pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the whale, which is a play on the Gramsci quote. Pessimism of the intellect, optimism of the will. And that's an interesting piece about why socialists should read Moby Dick. Um, A lot there, of course, and I've alluded to this in my coverage of Moby Dick, there's references to empire, to colonialism, to white supremacy, to all these sorts of features of modern capitalistic existence. And yeah, interesting to see. It's not just a, it's not just a, a sort of socialist read of Moby Dick for a major outlet. It's also almost doing this reporting or ethnography of a 25-hour Moby Dickathon in, I believe, New Bedford, New Bedford, and showing like the people who are sort of trading off between coffee and rum to keep them going through this uh, marathon read of of the novel and reading it out loud. And some people bring the sort of gusto of acting and so on and so forth. I like the conclusion of the piece where Walker writes, our habitable world is being destroyed by massive forces that seem to operate beyond anyone's control. Monsters and morbid symptoms that which, with which we must reckon. But rather than overwhelm us with despair, these warnings can spur action. Enveloped in whale lines, the proverbial halters round our necks grow tighter, and yet we still yearn to breathe. We sound out to one another for meeting, comradeship, illumination, passage through the fog. And as Ishmael reminds us while contemplating the interplay of the sun and the spraying mists of a spouting whale, rainbows do not visit the clear air, they only irradiate vapor. So thinking about how there has to be in the face of the monsters of the present, the monsters of climate change, nascent authoritarian nationalism, so on and so forth, there's this, there's a kind of optimism of the whale, of the will in, in Moby Dick at play, a, a call for responsibility to resist and to, to live. Another thing I appreciated about this piece was how it contrasted a sense in, a faith in the arc of justice, the arc of history bending towards justice that you could even see in the kind of propaganda writing, and I mean propaganda in a neutral sense of uh, political education of like the Communist Manifesto, where there's a sense of like history's on our side. And this author invites us to see Moby Dick as like not sharing in that optimism while still sharing in the criticisms of capitalism, the criticisms of modernity that are in play in it. So uh, yeah, just another just an example of how like random Moby Dick content has like surfaced in, into my life randomly. Um, I, I haven't watched the famous Gregory Peck portrayal of Captain Ahab yet. I did watch the Ron Howard in the Heart of the Sea from 2015, which is about the historical antecedents for Moby Dick and, and sort of the more fantastical parts of Moby Dick. Um, basically positive on the film. I thought it did a pretty cool job of portraying the monstrosity of, of Moby Dick in, in a compelling way. There are things about it that I didn't particularly enjoy, but I think overall it's, it's worth a viewing. I don't think it did incredibly well at the box office, but I found it to be 
pretty compelling and in many ways more disturbing than than the story of Moby Dick itself. There's there's a lot of cannibalism. It, it's um, it's based on actual events of the whaling ship the Essex from 1820, starring Chris Hemsworth and some other people. Mixed reviews, grossed 93 million against a hundred million dollar budget. So yeah, not not a success, but like I thought, definitely watchable and worthwhile. And special effects with the whale were. I conveyed the grandeur and terror of of Moby Dick in a way that the special effects of the 1950s or 60s are not going to be able to do in that famous Gregory Peck portrayal. And I think that's a John Huston movie. So I probably need to get on that and watch that. And maybe also I'm going to say about it, maybe not. 1956, Orson Welles is in it. Yeah. And it's a John Hughes movie. Yeah, I, I need to I need to watch it. Screenplay by Ray Bradbury and John Houston. I need to watch it. It's 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 time. And maybe I'll report back on it. But yeah, in any case, that's just one of the the random the random loomings, the loomings of 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 Moby Dick that have that have appeared in my life of late that I wanted to share with you. So, yeah, a lot more coming up soon. We have some great episodes planned out and yeah, if you want to see some of the, the imagery from this this uh, detective comics, Batman comics of Batman fighting Moby Dick or some, some random whale. Turns out it's not even Moby Dick or the white whale. The white whale is a submarine. Check it out. I will have the, the links in the description of the episode so you can see what I was working with. But yeah, um, great, to, great to talk with you. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. This episode has some special outro music from Battle Avenue, my Year with the Wizard, great track. Support them. I'll be linking to all their, their info for buying their album, which is coming out soon. So, yeah. Enjoy. Yeah.